following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 788 of I Doubted Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Sweepy, everybody, <laughs> and Brittany Page. Sweepy is now here, and you are holding her, and you will be holding her for we'll see how long. Poor planning on our part. To not, I mean, there's no solution, so it's just we got to deal with it. Yeah, well, she is very much a tiny little baby puppy, and right now she is, well, we've only had her for two days, and she is not potty trained. She's not (laughs) trained at all about anything. Um, (laughs) She's sniffing the microphone right now, and... She's pretty great, though. She's wonderful, but she also doesn't like to be away from us or put down or any of that. So we we tried the crate situation, didn't go super well. We don't need to get into how it didn't go well, but we (laughs) are, we're working on it. We're working working through it. Yeah, we're working through it, and she's doing very well, but we did not think of a solution for when we're recording. But you know what? She needs to get used to us recording anyway. She needs to get over it because that's what we do. And um, you can follow her journey on the old Instagram, Mm -hmm. at bully, with a Y, B-U-L-L-Y, Sweepee. Yes. S-W-E-E-P-E-A. Correct. Speaking of Instagram, mm-hmm. let me. Can I pivot? Yes. Do a little pivot here. Yeah. Um, I'm at my wits. I mean, it's not like I get anything out of Instagram other than maybe occasionally taking a picture of food or you taking a picture of my dumb face and me putting it on there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very fed up with Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, there is somebody who who. Started an account at Jesse Dollimore because I on Instagram on Instagram I didn't take at Jesse Dollimore because mm-hmm. I'm I'm just Dollimore everywhere mm-hmm. and that's fine whatever I don't own the name mm-hmm. and then they start scamming they start messaging my followers who are actually my followers on Instagram mm-hmm. and tricking them thinking that it's me yeah. Because they see my full real name and then the picture of you, me, and Popeye. Right. And then they're trying to get them to invest crypto or give their bank account numbers. Yeah. And so I appealed it mm-hmm. and and Facebook, Instagram mm-hmm. said, oh, no, that no, that doesn't violate our community standards. They're not impersonating you and they're not scamming anybody. Right. When we've gotten... Dozens and dozens and literally dozens Mm -hmm. of messages and screenshots from people saying, hey, is this you? Yeah, and it's not. It is definitely not. not. Your only real Instagram handle is at Dollamore. And I don't think that you would be asking people to solve riddles 
and claiming that you would be giving people $500 if they answered the riddle correctly. And also, (laughs) oh, and for me to give you the money, what's your bank account number? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we appreciate people sending us these screenshots because it's really important. Obviously, Facebook isn't doing anything right now, but hopefully... They will. Hopefully enough people are reporting it that maybe they'll wake up and do something because at this point, yeah, it's, I don't want somebody getting scammed because uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not in my brain. I know I'm not responsible, but Mm -hmm. still I'm like, oh, fuck, take care of this Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Because I, I can't. I did message with the person. (laughs) I had a conversation with them. You, you were... Very disciplined. Yes. In not calling them what you wanted to call them. Yes. Yeah. Well, so that, good job. That's because I didn't want them to like report me for abusive conduct. That's all the fuck we need. I thought that that would be. And then they'd have evidence of it in a message. Yeah. I just didn't want to like set myself up to have my own account be then taken over by hackers. And <laughs> they, they asked me what my problem was because I've been tagging the account and saying, this is a fake account. This is a scam account. Please report this account. They're impersonating Jesse and asking for bank accounts. And so they messaged me and said, what's your problem? And I said, why are you scamming people and impersonating Jesse Dollimore? And they said, I am Jesse Dollimore. Yeah. And while I'm sitting right next to you. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, so your name is also Jesse Dollimore, but you have the same picture. You you look just like Jesse Dollimore. And they claimed that that photo was their photo. Oh, and so that's I said, nice. oh, well, where was it taken? Because I am also in the photo. And I'm just curious if they even know like where it was taken, who's in the photo, who right. took the photo. There's all kinds of ways that we can prove that this person is not who they say they are and yet facebook doesn't give a shit about it pretty weird i mean it's the same kind of things i find done every single day on youtube where i have to flag accounts i have i showed you the tab i have this this bookmark tab on my browser Mm -hmm. of again dozens and dozens accounts who have stolen my 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 user photo mm-hmm. on YouTube mm-hmm. and then create an, uh, an account with the name Jesse Dollimore and they do the same thing. Hey, if you're really into crypto, message me on WhatsApp. Yeah. So this is just kind of a, a blanket statement of if you believe that that you are communicating with Jesse and that account asks you for your account number or starts talking to you about cryptocurrency, that is not Jesse. And that's a red flag, and you should go ahead and report that account. Yeah, I, well, one, listen, we, we obviously do solicit for donations for the show, but we do it in a blanket message on the show. I'm not individually messaging people, having them solve this riddle, and you can cross the bridge. Yeah. yeah what am I, a fucking bridge troll? Well, also, you're not... Troll? Troll? <laughs> yeah, a troll. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like the people who think that you're like funded by Soros. Like you don't have money to be giving someone five, a bunch of people $500 for answering a riddle correctly. That's not something that you (laughs) have. Well, Paul, Paul, listener, Paul, long time listener, beautiful supporter of the show (laughs) was sending me screenshots of him fucking with this person. Good. good. And like, Oh, I'm ready to give you my account numbers. But I just noticed that the website you gave me is registered in Nigeria. Well, what's that about? And they're like, no, that's a mistake. It's not. And then he sent him screenshots. Yeah. He did a really artful job of keeping him stringing him along. Well, I so. think I think there's that's useful too. 
because you're wasting that guy's time and or that person's time and then they have less of an opportunity to scam other people possibly. So if you want to mess with the account, then you can mess with the account. Yeah, just do not fall prey to their dumbness. And don't follow it. Certainly, if if you're not going to mess with them, you're not playing games with them, please block the account because the more followers that it appears to have, the more clout it gives to the account. What's strange is after we were posting and notifying that this account is fake, people have gone to follow the account that's fake. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. That gives it clout and makes it appear real to other people when it has a higher follower count. So just block it, report it. We're we're trying to prevent people from getting scammed. Here. Yeah, that's that's so, the main point. So I guess the the main point would be if you want to make Sweepy happy, <laughs> then you'll you'll block and report. You'll uh, report and then block said account. Yes. The at Jesse Dollamore account on Instagram. Yes. I can't believe I'm asking people to block an account with my actual uh, fucking name. I know. <laughs> Not great. So let's get to some listening communication. Um, couple episodes ago, a couple of episodes ago, when I was able to speak more clearly and articulately, we interviewed uh, Diana Green Foster, PhD, the author of um, The Takeaway Study. The turnaway study. The turnaway study. God damn, every time. Um, where they followed a thousand women and tracked the, the their their lives uh, after having um, received or been denied an abortion. Anyway, uh, it sparked a lot of co- phone calls. We got a lot of uh, feedback about it, and I wanted to play a couple of voicemails before we move on, and maybe it'll it'll spark some some further conversation. We've also received a bunch of uh, messages from people saying that they they bought the book, and that's great because mm-hmm. this is a book that you'll get a lot of information from, and then also. You might be able to pass it on to somebody else. Both the information, maybe even the book. Yeah, uh, it it would be a great uh, a great gift idea. Um, this episode not brought to you by the <laughs> Turnaway Study. Here's that first voicemail. Hey Jesse and Brittany, this is Gilly in Colorado. They them pronouns. Um, in regards to abortion access, um, who uh, very tender subject. I would like to remind people that you can't stop abortion. You can only stop safe and legal abortion. But people will find a way to get aborted patients or even the good old coat hanger, which is horrifying and terribly dangerous for the pregnant person. But it won't stop. It's always been a thing. It will always be a thing. Um, I would like to point out that there are helpers, though, for people needing to access abortion. It's so much more complicated than travel and hotel stays. Some people can't even get a ride to the airport, even if the airplane ride is paid for by an abortion fund. Um, but there are multiple different funds that people can access. There's emergency access fund. There's cobalt fund. Um, there's the justice fund. Uh, all they have to do is ask. Um, and pretty much any abortion provider knows what these funds are, has some kind of care coordinator, and will help facilitate their needs. Uh, as, and as much as covering not just the cost of the abortion, um, but the Uber to the airport, the airport ride, the Uber to the clinic, the hotel stay overnight while they get prepared for their two-day procedure, 
And then the Uber ride back to the airport, the plane ride home, the Uber ride home. So if they don't have somebody who can drive them, they don't have a car, they don't have access to public transit, there are funds that are available. Um, and they just need to ask, which is hard for people to do because people are proud and they don't like to ask for assistance. But most abortion providers are going to offer and they're going to press hey, what can you reasonably pay? Oh, you can't pay anything? We have been so lucky that so many people have reached out in donating uh, that we're covering most of people's procedures for people that can't pay, whether they have the abortion fund or not. We actually have the subsidy currently to get that assistance. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate the show. A reminder, can't stop abortion. You can always stop safe legal abortion. Bye. Thanks for the call, Gilly. Uh, this is, I'm so glad that they called with this particular, uh, I don't want to say talking point in a disparaging way, but this is kind of one of those like common refrains that we've all been told and we all say, I, I believed it up until the point that you read this book cover to cover and were shocked by the fact that that's actually not the case, that abortions are always going to you can make them illegal all you want but abortions are going to happen there's going to be back alley abortions the data don't really support that long-held um talking point yeah i think we talked to diana green foster about it when she was on the show last week and it, it was something that was surprising to me because in the book it was maybe the only kind of pro-choice quote-unquote pro-choice talking point that i saw her challenge and in it, she said that making abortion unaffordable stops it for hap- stops it from happening for many women. And the estimate is probably as many as a quarter of women who want an abortion but can't afford it end up carrying that pregnancy to term. Which is a, an enormous number. And so that's just finances. But then in the book, she also gets into the different state laws or the gestational limits that exist. And that those things prevent at least 4,000 women from getting wanted abortions each year. So these things that are put in place do stop abortions. And as Diana Green Foster talked about in the Turnaway study, when people carry their unexpected pregnancies to term, the pregnant people and their children experience all of the effects on their physical health, the economic hardships, all the different things that Diana Green Foster found in the Turnaway study because of carrying those unwanted pregnancies to term. So I, I understand that there are organizations out there that are helping, and I think that's so important. I am glad that Gilly brought those up in their voicemail. One of those is the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. This is one that I have seen given that Idaho is now banning abortions yeah, after joining, six weeks. joining Texas. And so there are abortion access funds that are popping up to help people. So if you are in the situation, you live in one of these states that is banning abortion, it is important to know about abortion access funds, to know how to help people that you may know, how to help yourself to be able to uh, access those resources. So really appreciate, Gilly, bringing attention to that because that is very important as we see more and more of these states passing these laws. For sure. Thanks, Gilly. We appreciate you so much. Uh, moving on. Hey, this is Grace from Buffalo. Um, this is what I want to say about all this uh, nonsense about abortion. This is all about control. Always has been, always will be. 
And anybody who thinks it's just stopping at banning abortions, next comes IVF, then comes um, probably birth control. Uh, and, and let's just not stop there. Let's just make sure that gay people can't get married. Um, you know, let's just make sure there's no interracial marriage and where does it end? This is all about control. And anybody who doesn't take this seriously is sleeping on the job. This, you know, there's a minority of people who believe the horseshit that they're spewing. They're true zealots. But the majority know exactly what they're doing because they know that if women were able to rise up, band together, rise up, and make their voices be heard, that we would be the most powerful voting block. And then we would be running this country. They don't want people educated. They don't want people to have a voice. They want people to live in fear. I know this may sound like nonsense, hysterical ranting, but I firmly believe this. It is all about control, and it doesn't stop here. Anyway, thanks. Love the show. I believe this to be true. Yeah, I totally agree. This is about control, and it is a minority. Look, poll after poll after poll show that people are supportive of abortion rights in this country, even Republicans. So it is a, a very vocal minority that is motivated by whatever draconian aspects of their faith or cultural conservatism mm-hmm. in an effort to create regressive policies that actually hurt real fucking people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that call. Totally agree. We are going to continue to talk about these states that are passing this legislation, and we're going to do that after I read this email, which is from an anonymous person who wrote in after listening to the episode with Diana Green Foster. Hello, Brittany and Jesse. I have been listening to your podcast regularly for about a year, but I have watched Jesse since around the time of the 2016 election. This year, I decided to become a Patreon subscriber. I wanted to share this story after your last episode with Diana Green Foster. At 19, fresh out of high school with no clue of what I wanted to do, I decided to take an EMS class to see if I wanted to go into the medical field. I met a 25-year-old firefighter who at the time I thought was just perfect. One month into dating, I was pregnant, and at 19, scared to death. I had no clue what I was going to do. After some thought, having an abortion seemed right. I was not ready in life to become a mother. I lived in Wichita, Kansas. The clinic there was run by Dr. George Tiller. So here I was, 19, scared, and wearing Eeyore socks, crying my eyes out. He came by, sat on the bed with me, held my hand, and told me how brave I was. He told me I was young, and if I wanted to have a baby, I could. He was kind and compassionate, something I didn't expect. I was emotional for a little while, but I knew it was the right decision. I am now a single mom by choice to a beautiful 15-year-old daughter. I attached a picture of her because I think you will love her t-shirt. Love you guys. Anonymous. So George Tiller is the doctor who was killed by an anti-abortion activist, and he was killed in 2009, May of 2009. And he was kind of held up as a radical within the pro-life community, the anti-abortion community. You know, the assholes who carry their signs of of chopped up baby parts and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I, I love this email from Anonymous because this was a point that was also made in the book about people who 
provide abortions. And it isn't that they are trying to convince everyone to have abortions. It's that they want to offer health care that is going to be the best fit for whoever is sitting in front of them. To let, to let someone make a, a choice for themselves right. about something deeply personal that has nothing to do with anybody else. Right. And so they're sitting there with them as a medical professional to offer them counsel and guidance about what the best choice is for their life. And instead, a lot of these anti-abortion activists will point to people who provide abortions and say that they are radicals and that they are trying to convince everyone to have abortions, that it's dangerous. And again, abortion is just healthcare. So they're actually not dangerous, certainly not as dangerous as carrying a pregnancy to term. You also learn that in Diana Green Foster's book. This episode not brought to you by Diana Green Foster's book, <laughs> but you should definitely go and read it. So thank you to Anonymous for sharing this story. Absolutely. And a beautiful photo of your daughter that you attached to wearing a shirt that says read banned books. We love that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, we do have some follow-up on this particular topic in the wake of Idaho. We've been talking about uh, Idaho getting ready to pass this six-week abortion ban uh, statewide, and that has now happened. Now, at the start of the day, Governor Little had three options on what he could do with the bill. He could sign it into law, he could veto it, or he could not sign it, and it would become law by default technicality. But Little did sign it into law shortly before the deadline, and he had some interesting notes of the enforcement mechanism in the law. He said, quote, I fear the novel civil enforcement mechanism will, in short order, be proven both unconstitutional and unwise. In another statement, Little also expressed significant concerns over, quote, unintended consequences that the legislation will have on sexual assault victims, saying, quote, ultimately, this legislation risks re-traumatizing victims by affording monetary incentives to wrongdoers and family members of rapists. Finally, Little fi- uh, finishes his letter saying, quote, I remain committed to protecting the lives of preborn babies and strongly encourage the legislature to promptly rectify any unintended consequences with this legislation to ensure the state sufficiently protects the interests of victims of sexual assault. Assault. Will there be a legal challenge to this? Likely, yes. I know that stakeholders are discussing their next options, but to be clear here, for the next 30 days, abortions are legal in the state of Idaho. And Brian, again, 30 days starting tomorrow, that's when the law goes into effect. This is different than the fetal heartbeat bill that was passed a year ago. Um, that went into effect when a federal court or a higher court would essentially turn overturn something like Roe v. Wade. So this has nothing to do with that. This is a totally separate law. Again, goes into effect in 30 days. Um, there's a lot of conversation going on about lawsuits, but um, a conversation that is also being had is that in, until that the law goes into effect and you have a quote-unquote party who would sue over this, right. you have to wait until that point. So will we see specific uh, lawsuits here in Idaho over this? Likely yes, probably in the May or June time frame. And this was a very delicate decision for Governor Little, who of course is running for governor. He's running for re-election. And the statement that he made by signing or not signing or letting it go into effect would be very powerful and would have a lot of, I guess, implications with it. So we saw what the governor decided to do today. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next several weeks, but also something to keep an eye on this summer. The Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court is expected to make a decision on Roe v. Wade, depending on what happens there, could really have implications 
applications for Idaho. And that's when that trigger law that has already been passed last year would go into effect. All right, thanks. So we know this isn't, as I mentioned, isn't the first time that Governor Little has expressed his trepidation, but went ahead and signed this bill anyway. He did it last session with House Bill 377. That was the one that outlawed the teaching of critical race theory in Idaho, even though it's not being taught in any of our schools in Idaho. He wrote a one-sentence supporting that bill and then six paragraphs saying why he does it. Then there was the voter initiatives bill, admitting it will likely end up in court, but he signed that bill anyway also. And then, of course, Idaho Supreme Court ruled it was, in fact, unconstitutional last summer. Brad Little is a coward. Yeah, so that last guy talking that you heard there is Brian Holmes with KTVB, the local station in Idaho and Boise. The NBC affiliate. And he is the one who messaged me when my high school boyfriend was uh, all over the news for being at the insurrection. Yeah, being... In the Senate chamber, in the presiding officer's chair. Yeah. During the insurrection. Yeah, Brian Holmes is the one who DM'd me and said, Hey, Brittany, uh, Brian from KTVB here looking to get a comment from you to talk to you about your ex-boyfriend from high school. Yeah, that's going to be a no for me, dog. I <laughs> uh, did not even respond. Not going to be on the news talking about that. So, yes, Brad Little, a coward. He is afraid of someone who is far more radical than he is, and that is the Lieutenant Governor of Idaho, Janice McGeechan. She is a nutter. I think he's afraid of her. I think yeah. that's why he... <laughs> continues to sign things that he claims he doesn't agree with. I mean, what's the point? Who does he think he's signaling to with yeah, that? L- listen, I don't... It is very strange to me, the because I grew up with these types, these these people who revere the Constitution or claim to. They, they raise their right hand and swear or affirm to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and then sign into law bills that they categorize as unconstitutional and unwise. I mean, he specifically said, quote, I am particularly concerned for those vulnerable women and children who lack the capacity or familial support to report incest and sexual assaults. Yeah. Because the legislation requires that you file a police report and then show it to your medical provider in order to get an abortion before six weeks. And then he goes on to say, quote, Ultimately, this legislation risks re-traumatizing victims by affording monetary incentives to wrongdoers and family members of rapists. You think, Brad Little? He he literally said that and then signed. Yeah. Again, fucking coward. Just a smooth-brained weakling of a human being who's afraid of the most radical elements of the Republican Party in Idaho. Yeah, it's very, very strange. I am scared for... Everyone, honestly, everyone, uh, but particularly those people who are living in states where this legislation is uh, passing. For sure. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via patreon your support on patreon for as little as two dollars a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time if you have a few dollars to spare each month we invite you to help produce the show by joining the patreon family please visit patreon.com slash i doubt it podcast we would like to thank our new patreon supporters jennifer h jennifer h jj jj 
Dewan P. Dewan P. And that is the list for today. That Sorry, is the list. We just did a handoff. We did a switcheroo where now I am in charge of Sweepy. I have also, I had her in my, the crook of my arms. Like I'm holding, you know, like when you, you mime that you're holding a baby like that yeah. cradle. <laughs> and now I'm, I've got a lot of moob sweat, <laughs> a lot of moob sweat. Um, thank you so much for your support, everyone. We very much appreciate it. It is going to be a journey with Miss Sweepy here. And we are grateful to everyone who is following along at Bully with a Y, P, no T at the end. Uh, if you do put How a T at the you, end. How dare you? You will be banned from the fucking show. Jesse will be enraged, <laughs> as you know. So don't do it. All right. We love you guys. We appreciate you so much. All your support, all your listenership, all your loyalty, and the fact that you have built a community around this little show. All right. Moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, have you heard about Bob Woodward and Robert Costa? Uh, Robert Costa from the Washington Post. I guess Bob Woodward is also from the Washington Post, and and Bob, and, and Costa is as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've teamed up with with CBS, CBS News, as I cannot talk apparently, mm-hmm. and they have identified We've very little sleep. There's been reporting of they have identified an over seven hour gap in the phone call records from the white the Trump White House that have been supplied to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. Expect. And so they're delivering in a way. Let's just put up some of who he did talk to in the morning, because one of the challenges here when you have a gap is you see he spoke to Kurt Olson, who's one of the attorneys helping him uh, with the cockamamie election was stolen idea. Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, Rudy Giuliani, again, all people helping him, trying to help him ignore uh, the will of the people. So, you know, they spoke to them in the morning. Bill Bennett, the conservative commentator you see there as well. Stephen Miller, his aide, Senator David Perdue. Uh, the challenge is the committee can go back to all of these people and say, is that the only time you spoke to him? Did you call him again? Did you call him in this period where we have this gap in the records? Uh, that is what they've been doing meticulously, bringing people in. What was happening in those hours from General Kellogg, for example, who was Mike Pence's national security advisor. They learned that Ivanka Trump was one of the people who came in trying to get her father to do more to stop it. How much progress are they making in trying to fill in what's not in the records uh, with testimony? I, I think it's significant, and uh, because the question is, okay, you talk to the president on this day or during this gap, and uh, what was his posture? Well, we know publicly and from the calls that are there, he was, the election was stolen at this moment. After the election being held, it is the day, most important day for the Constitution to say, who's going to be president? There is a certification process that's laid out in the Constitution and the law. And this is a subversion of that by Trump consistently, permanently, as we know, the January 6th committee has said, they make a good faith conclusion that this was a criminal conspiracy by Trump and some of his aides. So can you, the, the question here is, can you subvert the Constitution and the law? That is the test for the January 6th 
committee, people in our business, and for the country. And if you can, uh, what do we have? Yeah, that's. Listen, I fundamentally disagree with with what um, Bob Woodward is saying there. That that's not the question before the committee, because the committee does not have prosecutorial authority. The question before the committee is, what can we do to prevent prevent this from happening again? That's the question before the committee. How can we allocate funds to buttress the security infrastructure around the Capitol to ensure that if it does happen again, what went down won't go down the way it went down? That's the question before the committee. Those questions that Bob Woodward is asking are the ones before the Justice Department, which seems unwilling, they're certainly not uh, enable, but unwilling to pursue a fulsome investigation to hold Donald Trump and the rest of these idiots accountable for a criminal conspiracy to overthrow the United States government and overturn a free and fair election. And up to this point, there's been no public display of the impanelment of a grand jury, of of indictments, of even the hint of an investigation. It's all just exceedingly frustrating. Yeah, well, and John Bolton, the former national security advisor in the Trump administration, came out and said that he heard former President Donald Trump use the phrase burner phones, burner phones, in several discussions, and that Donald Trump knew what it meant. Now, Donald Trump is saying that he's never heard of the phrase burner phone. Right. Well, to the best of my knowledge, I've never even heard that. I don't know what, what, what? A bur- a burn burner phone? I don't, what is that? What is a white supremacy? What is a white supremacist? What is this KKK, I've never heard. David Duke? I, I don't even, what are you even saying? He's the smartest man alive, according to him. He's the most intelligent. He has the biggest brain, and he doesn't know what a lot of things mean. Yeah, that's right. Especially things that evade, that, that provide him the ability to evade communication uh, or, or the, the recording of those communications. I'm supposed to believe he hasn't like watched a shitty cop show. Like he's not a big NCIS fan or something. Please. Please. Well, we also know that the reporting about him calling, especially after all of the uh, Stormy Daniels stuff broke, he was like requiring his Secret Service agent to use his phone. Mm-hmm. So he knows the ways around this stuff. It's just, a, it's a, an insane lie that only people, I don't think anybody believes it, but the only people who are going to act like they, they believe it are just MAGA morons. Yeah. Well, this story, I think, combined with the Jenny Thomas story about Clarence Thomas, yeah. the text messages that she sent to Mark Meadows, making it clear that she is 100% unhinged in the QAnon movement, just... In it. If you read the dozens of text messages from Jenny Thomas to White House Chief of Staff, where she's imploring him to overturn the election, giving him strategy notes, getting angry that they're not utilizing um, Sidney Powell more, it's it is she is conspiracy nutter butter. I think the exposure of all of this corruption is very positive. One thing I am concerned about is the lack of action across the board, yeah. the lack of consequences for anyone across the board, and how that is going to lead to people feeling disillusioned and ultimately disengaged and as though yeah. things don't matter. And I think that is the difficult balance that we're trying to strike here, which is talking about these things that are really important, but 
not getting to a place where we're so pessimistic, pessimistic about everything that we feel like nothing matters. Well, listen, there, there is a war afoot, a political war afoot. And if you, if you disengage because you feel sad or you feel bad, you're, you're surrendering and you're giving the other side exactly what they want and what they need. And they hope you will quit. The other part of this, especially the Jenny Thomas, and we got a clip here, but especially the Jenny Thomas thing is that the coverage, it came and then it went. Oh, yeah. It's gone now. Oh, yeah. Even on YouTube. A a sitting Supreme Court justice's wife, who they call each other best friends publicly all the time. And in the text messages, she says, I was just talking to my best friend about this. Mm -hmm. a, A case came before the Supreme Court. And he was the only justice to vote in favor of Donald Trump. It's a remarkable story that needs to be on the tip of everyone's tongue because this corruption can't be allowed to take place. The new questions about the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and her alleged role in trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Let's go back to Congressional Correspondent Rachel Scott with more on that story. Rachel, good morning. Wait, good morning. Yes, these text messages show how the wife of a Supreme Court justice used her inner circle to repeatedly pressure, at times plead with the White House to take steps to overturn an election Donald Trump lost. This morning, newly revealed text messages showing the pressure the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas put on the White House to overturn the 2020 election. The text messages from Ginny Thomas obtained by the January 6th Select Committee. As it investigates the riot that broke out on Capitol Hill, the committee getting its hands on at least two dozen texts sent between Ginny Thomas and President Trump's then chief of staff, Mark Meadows, in the days after the election. In one, Thomas writing, quote, help this great president stand firm, Mark. Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. And in another, just days after the 2020 election, Thomas writing, do not concede. Other messages show Thomas pushing false conspiracy theories, urging Meadows to tell officials in the West Wing to buck up. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. Thomas attended that rally at the White House before rioters stormed the Capitol on January 6th. But telling the Washington Free Beacon in a recent interview that she got cold and left early, insisting mm-hmm. Clarence doesn't discuss his work with me and I don't involve him in my work. All this coming at a time when Trump was promising to take his efforts to overturn an election he lost all the way to the Supreme Court, where Justice Thomas could weigh in and decide his fate. But the court ultimately rejected those cases. The Supreme Court has not responded to our repeated questions about whether Justice Thomas knew about his wife's activities or why he did not recuse himself from certain cases with. And we're not going to hear a response. Isn't Clarence Thomas known for not talking very much? Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> it is it is a an unfortunate deal here that we, we, we exist, our system, in our system exists, uh, the situation where a Supreme Court justice is the sole arbiter of whether they recuse or not. Mm-hmm. So if he chooses not to, then there's nothing anybody can do. Mm-hmm. There's no panel saying, oh, yeah, yeah, really, you really should. Yeah. It's just public pressure. And obviously, it's something he's impervious to because he doesn't give a fuck about his job, about the country, about our democracy, about anything other than really protecting Donald Trump. 
Well, he also has three former clerks that are, according to New York Times reporting, intimately involved in Donald Trump, the investigation into Donald Trump. One is John Eastman, a lawyer, a former clerk of Justice Thomas, and he was a main strategist in the effort to try to overturn the election. Mm -hmm. You also have John Wood. This is one of January 6th committee's top investigators and another former clerk of Justice Thomas and uh, leading the gold team examining Mr. Trump's inner circle. And then you have a federal judge, Carl J. Nichols, who is hearing cases related to the Capitol riot. And John Eastman was actually subpoenaed by the committee to talk about his role in helping Donald Trump try to overturn the election. And John Wood began the questioning by noting that Mr. Eastman once served as a clerk to Justice Thomas, and he shot back, like you, John. Yeah. According to New York Times. Well, in it was in that case where the, the, the federal judge for the Central uh, District of California said that it is f- more likely than not that Donald Trump actually committed crimes. Mm-hmm. Related to the 2020 election. So, listen, shit's happening. People are aware. Their eyes are open. The problem is we don't know whether Merrick Garland's eyes are open. And all of this while you have these MAGA idiots in high positions and low positions or no positions. In this Mm -hmm. case, a high position. The the, uh, Alabama Attorney General was before the Senate answering questions. And Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island was asking him, Just a simple question about whether he believes Joe Biden is the duly elected president of the United States. And the answer and the obfuscation was stunning. Is Joseph R. Biden of Delaware the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States of America? He is the president of this country. Is he the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States? He is the president of our country. Are you answering that, omitting the language duly elected and lawfully serving purposefully? I'm answering the question, he is the president of the United States. And you have no view as to whether he was duly elected or is lawfully serving? I'm telling you he's the president of the United States. No further questions. That's the attorney general of the state of Alabama. Steve Marshall. You can, can't you... I mean, I was waiting for the final question to be, are you some kind of a fucking idiot? Because, I mean... <laughs> well, or those just, were the long pregnant pauses that you heard during the question as he was trying yes. to put it together. Like, how am I going to ask this without getting <laughs> upset? <laughs> but this is what we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. It is a serious moment in American history that I fear because of the history of losses on the part of the Democratic Party and trying to be, got to be fair. We got to be equitable to the other side. We need a healthy Republican Party. That's important for America. Because of that, they're not dealing with this the way that they should. Yeah. I will say, I think a large part of what's happening right now with people not being as engaged with these stories that are super important is the large media outlets and what they're choosing to focus on. Right. Given that we search the internet for clips for the show, audio clips that you hear in the show, typically I go to many different news outlets, YouTube channels in order to pull audio. And in looking at CNN's YouTube channel lately, listen, Ukraine is very important. It's a very, very important story. They definitely need to be covering it. But almost all of their videos are related to the war in Ukraine. It's a 24-hour, seven-days-a-week operation. And 
97% of what they're doing right now is Ukraine. Yeah. And and that's not ideal when we have very serious things happening here. When our own democracy is at risk. Absolutely. And they have the ability to inform people and, yeah. and get people engaged. And that opportunity is really being missed. Gross. Yeah. Really gross. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Gary Berman. Gary Berman. Who, pray tell, is Gary Berman? Well, Gary Berman is the CEO of Tricon Residential, a Toronto-based company that currently owns 30,000 single-family homes across the United States. And he has some thoughts about whether or not young people these days actually want to own things. Gary Berman is CEO of Tricon Residential, a Toronto-based company that has quietly become one of the largest owners of single-family homes in the United States. So today, we own about 30,000 single-family rental homes across the U.S., largely in the Sun Belt, and we've got probably about 75,000 people living in our homes. You are a multi-billion dollar company. You're publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Correct. And the Toronto Stock Exchange. Toronto Stock Exchange. I even read in one of your own documents that your revenue went up last year by 67%. Is that correct? Yeah, we're expanding. I mean, when you think about it, we have an incredible amount of demand for what we do. So, Leslie, in any given week, we might have two or 300 homes available. For renting. For renting. And we get about 10,000 leasing inquiries a week. Tricon is trying to buy 800 houses a month. I think if you asked a lot of millennials, and that tends to be our primary resident, um, they would probably tell you that they don't necessarily desire to own a home or to mm-hmm. own a car. They've grown up in the sharing economy, and for what's important to them is lifestyle, right? And so if they can move into this, what we call a turnkey or hotel-ready home, and have a low-maintenance lifestyle, that's very compelling for them. Very compelling. You know, they love the low-maintenance lifestyle, those millennials. They don't want to own anything. Mm -hmm. They just want to be bilked out of their money by a corporation that owns 30,000 homes in America. And wants to buy 800 a year. Another almost 10,000 more a year. (laughs) This is, well, one, this doesn't just affect the rental market. This affects the market of actually owning a home. So if you do want to own a home, there is less inventory. Therefore, the prices are higher. This has a ripple effect all across the American economy from renters to owners and elsewhere. And this guy is a fucking ghoul to try to make that kind of an argument. Yeah, so we are in the midst of a housing affordability crisis in this country. People cannot afford to live. They cannot afford to pay their rent. And this guy is talking about how people want to have a low-maintenance lifestyle. I mean, what is this company coming in and, like, painting over the light switches? I mean, I, I... 
the, you know, the old landlord trick. Oh, yeah. we're going to spruce this place up. Yeah, no. We're going to put contact paper in the drawers. Yeah, they <laughs> love that low-maintenance lifestyle. Don't need to use the light switches. I wish we would have. I wish there would have been some follow-up. What exactly is low-maintenance lifestyle? I mean, is, is homeless, low-maintenance lifestyle? Well, and that was Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes, but I, I would have appreciated some sort of reaction of, really, you so you're buying up all these single-family homes, and, I mean, what's the goal? You're, you think you're offering a product of a low-maintenance lifestyle? Is your rent going to be super affordable? Are you concerned yeah. about the affordability crisis? Right. I mean, what what's the selling point here? I mean, aside from the quote unquote low maintenance lifestyle, they 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 own thirty thousand. Next year, they'll own forty thousand. The next year, fifty thousand homes. I mean, if if all their plan go, comes to fruition, and what is that doing for? People who are who are still living on the minimum wage that was the same in two thousand nine. Right. It is an untenable situation, and Congress is not taking care of this in a in an expeditious manner the way they should. Right, absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, what do you think about Gary Berman, Canadian CEO extraordinaire? Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. You can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. If you've been on the fence about supporting and helping produce the show, now could be your time. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Look at what is involved, what the tiers are, and consider supporting us on Patreon. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.